from the dark web to your radio dial. You are listening to CyberTalk Radio on News 1200 WOAI. Welcome to CyberTalk Radio. I'm your host, Brett Pyatt, a 20-year internet security veteran. We're going to be talking about augmented reality, virtual reality, and uh, using that in a learning environment today. I'm joined uh, by a couple of guests uh, from Merge, a San Antonio headquartered company that is specializing uh, in learning related to augmented and virtual reality. If you're a parent out there and uh, wondering if your kids should be using this uh, in their school, K through 12, or even on into college to learn information better than they've been able to before, uh, stay tuned. If you're not going to be able to stick with us here on the air, uh, the rebroadcast of this will go up on our website at www.cybertalkradio.com on Tuesday, February the 5th. It'll also go out there onto uh, every podcasting service on the internet. And if uh, you have a podcasting service you prefer to use and you cannot find our program, reach out to us on Facebook or Twitter at CyberTalk Radio. We will get you a T-shirt and we will get that fixed. So, Steve uh, and Jeremy, thank you for joining us today. I'll go, uh, give you guys a, a moment just to introduce yourself and uh, share a little bit of the background of Merge. How did you guys get to here and figuring out that this is a great way to help folks learn uh, better than they've been able to before? Thanks, Brett. Um, welcome to the listeners to the program. Um, I'm Steve Patty, Chief Marketing Officer for Merge. I uh, joined the company in May of 2018 after a 30-year technical career and uh, actually discovered the company through connections here at Geekdom. And uh, through those mutual connections, they suggested that uh, the company had some great technology, was in a space that was uh, open for somebody to own it, and uh, thought that my background might be a good fit with the, uh, with the founders. So I reached out through LinkedIn, ironically, and uh, after 60 days of conversation, ended up joining the team. Yeah, so professional uh, tips out there for uh, kids listening to our audience or folks that are looking to get into cybersecurity and the rest of the technology. You really can get jobs through LinkedIn. It's not uh, the, all these platforms out there. Um, but it, as you, you heard him say, it's 60 days. So well, this is one that I always advise folks, like if you're wrapping up graduating from a program, start your job search early because uh, tech career hiring uh, often takes some time to make sure you get the correct match. Indeed. Cool. Awesome. Thanks, Brett. Uh, my name is Jeremy Kaniski, and so I'm VP of Creative at Merge. So I run a lot of our development teams, a lot of the software that we're putting out around AR and VR. I've uh, been doing that for about, before I joined Merge two and a half years ago, I've been doing that for another company that I was running. And so have a lot of experience in AR, VR from probably when AR first started, uh, when mobile devices first started coming out with cameras, 2007, really 2008. Um, was developing a lot of AR stuff back then, and so it's kind of trickled down. I'm, I'm glad to see the market is finally catching up with uh, where I've been trying to convince everyone to be for a while, so, so that's exciting. Yeah, so uh, I remember a little bit of, of your history from uh, maybe before you joined, Steve. So we were operating our company out of the basement of the Geekdom building uh, in early 2016, and we'd moved in, and all of a sudden falling eight stories through the atrium in the middle of the building is a, a merge a headset with a, a cell phone inside of it. Yeah, you know, one of our, our first product, really, that hit retail shelves, and really it was the first mobile virtual reality product to hit retail shelves at all, uh, was the merge headset. And so you just drop your phone in, you can do a lot of uh, cardboard components compatible VR experiences, uh, really great experience, soft, durable, squishy, uh, has input buttons, a lot of just really great design improvements over 
exist anything else that was out there. Um, but yeah, we, you're, we were able to basically put a phone in it, drop it eight stories, uh, and then pull the phone out. Phone still works. Kind of showing off that, that the device really protects your phone, and it's great for kids and really durable and that kind of stuff. Yeah. No, it was it that was an interesting awakening. We we got a, folks came down. They're like, "Can you not walk out in the atrium here for about the next fifteen or twenty minutes?" And then all of a sudden, we hear this fall and then thud on the floor and then it bounced and yeah i don't think any of the, i didn't see any broken phones or anything so yeah i think you can find that video out on youtube uh, yeah if you yeah want to check that out yep um and this is not just one of those fake made for youtube this was really happening they really dropped it down there and the phones really did not break yeah it's made life for me as a marketer a little bit easier because you can imagine sending an email with a with an anchor text link to a school principal saying hey you've got 740 kids in your elementary school you're trying to make a wise technology decision on something that year on year you're not replacing 30 percent of your headsets that get broken by crazy fourth graders yeah and uh, you know they want to believe you and they, they watch the video and we say although we don't warrant the product for an eight-story fall yeah. uh, it's a pretty good chance it'll survive four feet off of a lab table and be just fine yeah for sure so uh so as you guys um are out there you're deep in the space most of our listeners so augmented reality for them uh, is probably pokemon go or is it and the, that's their experience with augmented reality uh, what else is going on with augmented how do you describe the difference of, of augmented and virtual reality to folks many of the listeners may not even have ever had a virtual reality headset on yeah, so uh, the way we define augmented reality, and, and I hate to give a, a, too much of a circular definition here, but really it's like taking the real world that we see and then augmenting it in some way. And so, you know, one of the first examples I always give when we're talking about it is the yellow line on the football field. The idea that we can have like contextual information on top of the real world. So it shows me where the first down marker is or where the end zone, red, red zone is, that kind of stuff. And so what that does is it adds this like level of emotion to if I know it's third or if I know it's fourth and one, it's a whole different. And I see where that one yard line is. It's a whole different thing than if I have no idea where it is and I yeah, don't the, know, you know, the field goal marking line. Yeah. It, now they're even coloring the grass for the first down, like on third down, the grass for that that yard marker area. Is yeah. Different. Yeah. They die. The, yeah. It's crazy. And so. That give, having that extra information really changes the way you perceive something and the way you experience it. And so that's kind of some early examples of augmented reality. Then you move all the way through mobile and, and look at things like Pokemon Go, uh, which uses your GPS to provide you with uh, Pokemon monsters and things like that around you. Um, a lot of what we're doing right now is uh, based on computer vision. And so we're looking through the camera and we're recognizing objects and saying like, this is this kind of an object, let's pop up this kind of information. Or what we'll do is uh, we're doing uh, some some essentially uh, what we call slam tracking. So we can use the camera to essentially detect what's changing in the world around you and detect your position in the world. And so then we can show you 3D models, uh, pretty complex diagrams and things. And that's how we're using it for learning is to really show these really complex objects, complex models um, that you can interact with as if they're really there in front of you. Yeah, I guess another one of the uh, augmented reality apps that came out as an Easter egg, I don't know if it's still in their app or not, Yelp used to uh, used to be able to like shake the phone or something and then it would do a heads up display around you and you could hold it and it would, it would show the little Yelp review for the, the restaurant and you on the on the building and you could see even like out certain distances and everything. I don't know if that's still inside the app, but if it's, it's not and you're curious about that one, I'm sure there's articles on the internet that talk about it. Uh, so as, as you guys are using this, you say interact with with objects. So there's like ways where your your device sees your hands and your hands can then touch and do different things with a virtual object in front of you. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of different ways people are, are uh, doing augmented reality. One of the products that we have is called the Merge Cube, which allows you to hold a physical object. It's a uh, I'm going to call it a 
three inch soft squishy stress cube that you can kind of squeeze and it's kind of like those squishy toys all the kids are playing with now yeah. which, foam uh, rubik's cube yeah, yeah like the i don't know if you've seen those squishy squishies or whatever that's crazy that whole phenomenon anyways um so essentially though using computer vision we can track all the markers on this thing we know exactly where it is we know the orientation of it the distance from the camera all of that and so we're putting objects on it. And so what's interesting about that, besides the fact that we're showing, for example, we're working on an app right now that has uh, the, the layers of the earth. So you see the core and the crust and the mantle and all this kind of stuff. Um, but you can actually physically hold it in your hand. And there's quite a bit of research around like using your senses, proprioception, all these different senses you have, knowing where your body parts are, moving your body, listening to audio, seeing the, visual, uh, the visuals of the core. And just really using that to really understand space and shape and dimension and things like that. And so that's, I think, what's really powerful about like physically having that object. Some people are doing it where they're just broadcasting, uh, you know, images in the world. And that's another way to do it, too. Yeah. Yeah. I think Jeremy strikes, um, you know, an important point here. And the, the, the reason that that cube, even the foam density on a hardness scale matches the same density as human tissue is that it tricks the brain. You see on the screen this virtual object and you know it's not actually live in the real world, but because you're holding something that has um, texture and feel and dimension, it tricks the brain that you're really holding it. And I think it's a big distinguishing um, point versus what everybody else is doing where you're limited to what you can see on the device screen, right? Yeah. So if you imagine very formidable early learning years, second, third, fourth grade, you're a teacher in a class, and we really view the Cube as a digital school supply, right? I mean, frankly, every school in America in August should have one of these things in addition to colored paper, pencils, rulers on their school supply list. But if you're eight years old and you're in third grade and you're being asked um, to pull out your Merge Cube and maybe your iPad that you have on your desk and view um, a piece of earth science or an artifact or a dinosaur bone and you're holding this and you're getting the sensation of touch and density in space plus visually using the second visual sense, it's a far more emotive connection and deeper learning experience than just knowing, yeah, I'm looking at something on the computer screen that might as well be Google or, or any other, you know, uh, screen limited um, uh, visual experience and that's pretty powerful and that's one of the reasons that we get on a little later here in the program talking about education use cases from k-12 to higher ed we're, we're just seeing massive interest uh, in the product yeah so then virtual reality now so you, you augmented i'm kind of getting some of that virtual reality so i guess there's some of the major game system folks the playstation and xbox both have a virtual reality headset for them now that where you're kind of connected into those facebook's got the oculus acquisition they made and then they've done like an oculus light sort of thing this last year um so there's like the tethered and untethered and help explain to the audience like what are some of the different choices as they look at at virtual reality and where do you guys see this heading from a, a systems perspective yeah sure so there's kind of like i would say three tiers right now to virtual reality um the way people are doing virtual reality the first one is what you described is the the tethered oculus the playstation 4 um some of the microsoft headsets and things like that HTC. those are yeah, HTC Vive. Those are the um, those are the high end uh, plug in to a computer, expensive computer, fast graphics card uh, systems. The computers themselves uh, in the in the uh, for the HTC and the Oculus. I mean, video cards and all that. Those machines are several thousands of dollars. The headsets themselves are several hundreds of dollars, five six hundred for the systems. Um, and so, but they're they're playing some really high quality, well invested in games. So these are really great experiences. They're room scale, so they have tracking devices that you plant. Uh, in the ceilings of the room that you kind of hang up and they can track your position throughout the room, which is a really cool and immersive experience. They have hand controllers that positionally track you. 
And so you've got a lot of AAA studios building some awesome stuff for that. The second tier down, I think, is kind of this the, is this is so that experience is not something where if I've got twenty six kids in the classroom that they're we're going to set them all up with something like that anytime yeah, soon. Yeah, impossible at the moment. Yeah, and I've actually talked to schools that have tried doing this that have bought HTC units, et cetera, and here's what they find out: they they'll put them in a lab environment, and they've got twenty five very rambunctious fourth graders. So the first one comes in, puts a headset on, and, and is having fun with the hand controllers. Three minutes in, the other you know twenty odd are fidgeting and going bananas, right? Either you know yeah. they want to get into behind the headset, or they're they're whining about something, and the educators figure out really quickly, ooh, that wasn't a great idea. Yeah. yeah. So then the next tier down from that is kind of what we call the all-in-ones, and so that's what uh, what you referred to earlier. Oculus has recently released the Oculus Go. They've announced the Oculus Quest, which they showed off at CES this year, which has a little bit more uh, positional tracking with the hands and, and the head. Uh, and then you've got a few others uh, that fit into that category as well. Uh, so, so those are interesting too. I think uh, they're un and, and they're untethered, which is nice. And they're all in one. You just purchase the headset itself. Those are usually selling for three, four hundred dollars. Uh, so those are great experiences too. The Oculus Quest is actually looking uh, really, really awesome. So being able to positionally move around without wires and hand controls is pretty cool. Then uh, sort of the third tier down from that, and I shouldn't say down, but sort of uh, lateral movement. The other tier that, that we're looking at, and the one we uh, build products for right now is the mobile mobile tier. And so that's where you can get a mobile device, drop it in front of the, the headset. The headset has lenses, usually doesn't have a lot of electronics. In our case, it has none. Um, it's got some buttons and things like that that are all uh, touch-based and things. So this the idea here is that they're accessible to anyone. Anyone that has a cell phone can run uh, VR experiences and experience them using headsets like this. So ours is one of them. There's cardboard, which is a cheap uh, $5 fold-up thing, and there's a few others out there. Yeah, but like, so I mean, with the, the cell phone-based one, all of the billions and billions of dollars going into innovating to make these mobile phones faster every year improves the VR experience. So the cameras get better, the screens get better, battery life gets better, everything gets better on these phones every year. It seems like if I'm building a purpose-built VR device, I'm going to have a hard time keeping up in the, the long term. It feels like everything is going to converge towards... Without yeah, without a doubt. I mean, if you look, I, my prediction, I think, is that without a doubt, these cell phones are going to be just as powerful as the tethered $3,000, $4,000 machines very, very soon. In fact, they almost are already. Yeah, yeah I mean, I heard. The, yeah, the key there is, you know, who are you going to trust from an R&D perspective? Multi-billion dollar companies, you know, if it's Facebook, Google, et cetera, or, or beyond, or, you know, you're a $40 million company trying to build your own self-powered headset. So you're right, the, the, there's mass momentum with the mobile markets uh, the R&D budgets are massive. They're going to always make sure that the CPU and the screen performance is, is leading edge. Yeah, and I was Apple of, of rumors sound like adding a third camera to the next release of uh, on iPhone so you'll be able to get even more positional spatial Stereo recognition. And, yeah, yeah. Right. Um, because I guess they've got two on the XS iPhone 10s now yeah, has I don't know. two this one, this one has two I think one's like a, I don't really know macro something yeah and I think they're adding a third on whatever the 11s 11 whatever the heck they're gonna call the next one that's the the rumors out there which will yeah give even more capabilities to start to get to the six degrees of freedom or whatever the fancy AR people could VR people call this stuff yep that's right yes so your host knows a little bit about this but this is why we have experts on the program I know hopefully I know enough to ask good questions and keep y'all entertained if you we call uh, it, we say doff six doff six doff Do degrees of freedom, freedom. yeah <laughs> so if you just turned your radio on right now this is 1200 WAI you're listening to cyber talk radio and we're talking about augmented virtual reality how that's being applied in the learning environment uh, if you're going to stick with us through the bottom of the hour break uh, for that news traffic and weather update uh, we're still a little ways away from that but the back half of the program we're going to talk a little bit about now that this is a, a 
idea that's out there. It's going to help folks learn much better. As uh, Steve's talked about, just the enhancements uh, in experience versus looking at something on a flat screen on how it helps with retention and even focus of paying attention if you're a fourth grader. Uh, and that how do you ensure that kids are going to stay safe while they're doing this stuff? Because it's a little bit of the Wild West out there on the Internet. And uh, we'll dive into the cybersecurity and kind of uh, aspects of this and, and why it really requires, I think, um, somebody to be a focus specialist uh, to make this safe, accessible, and, and something that we really can use to transform uh, K through 12. And as, as kids get used to learning in K through 12 with it, universities and everywhere else will go along from here. We've had some folks on even that are uh, a previous program. If you want to listen to our rebroadcast and our, our podcast streaming of this, uh, where they're doing augmented and virtual reality training specifically for uh, cybersecurity incidents in a professional setting. So that was a company called uh, DC Industries, and we talked about AR and VR uh, for cybersecurity simulations. Uh, so it's it's even happening all the way up at the professional level right now in certain very specific cases. So Steve, from a, a merge company perspective, you guys started off doing building some headsets and the, the cube and things. How did this lead to becoming an AR education and VR education company? So it's an interesting uh, progression during the nine months that I've been here. Um, what had happened was kind of a serendipitous event in the spring of 2018, and that was that Walmart, one of our retail partners, had overordered some product, specifically the Merge Cube, for Christmas uh, the prior year. And in the course of going through some inventory liquidation, um, we found teachers all around the country going into Walmarts and literally taking selfies, clearing the entire shelves of merge cubes, filling entire shopping carts, right? It's, it's like Black Friday at Walmart. Um, and they were posting on Twitter, you know, how they'd cleared these things out. They had brought them into their classrooms, and they were really starting to do some amazing things. And what made this easy for them to do is Walmart did, you know, somewhat of an unauthorized blowout at a buck a piece on these $15 cubes. So you had teachers with their own money dropping 50 or 100 bucks at the cash register and bringing 50 to 100 of these cubes into the classroom. And so as this began to happen kind of March and April and the social media channels were blowing up in a good way, right? Uh, followers were, were, were growing by the day on the merge accounts you know, really kind of forced the management team to lean in and, and take notice. Now, I was going through the interview process, interestingly, at the time in March, April, and I'm you know, talking with the founders and they're saying, hey, you know, we think we may have kind of serendipitously stumbled into something here that's, that's got big upside. I fortunately had a background in the education space. So we were having meaningful conversations about should we develop some business strategy around going after K-12? Let's kind of watch this to see if it's a flash in the pan or it's got legs. So in June of 2018, we went to the, the ISTE, the ISTE show in Chicago, which is the largest ed tech show in the United States, and went with kind of a modest booth footprint, did some, some modest marketing, and again, kind of towing the water, yeah. and we were mobbed at the event. We had session presenters and keynotes, unbeknownst to us, pitching, this is the hottest thing that you need to have if you're an educator in a K-12 environment. Coming back from that at the end of June, we kind of sat around as an executive team and said, okay, do we want to blink or do we want to capture this lightning in a bottle and ride it? And so it really, over the last six months, um, you know, forced some, some interesting conversations around, do we want to, you know, remain kind of a retail-centric consumer, kind of smart STEM toy, digital kind of AR toy company for the consumer space, or let's face it, consumers 
they're moms that teach that are consumers after five o'clock, right? Yeah. What you want for your kid in the classroom, which is to get ahead, you know, make STEM learning fun, equipment for a, a future in a tech-enabled world, you still want for them on Tuesday night at eight o'clock when it's, well, they're going to burn four hours playing Fortnite or, you know, they could be doing something with some, you know, with some, uh, you know, uh, educational value. And so that is kind of over the last eight to nine months what triggered conversation here then in November, December around let's put all the poker chips in the center of the table and really position as being a learning company that's straddling really three markets, consumer, educators, and professionals. Going on here in San Antonio this next week, big education tech conference coming up as well. Yeah, TCEA, which is an annual conference, San Antonio fortunately gets to host it every couple of years with, with Austin. I think Austin's next year. But yeah, huge, uh, huge show, 15,000 or so Texas educators converging on San Antonio to the Gonzales Convention Center to basically look at what's new, what's hot, what's interesting in ed tech. Um, is they'll be making decisions here March, April, May on uh, what, you know, purchase orders. What are they going to buy to bring into the schools this summer to have ready for teachers uh, when they get back into the classroom in August? Yeah, yeah. So, so parents out there, if you're listening to this and, and you're wondering, is my son or daughter's school going to be adding this? Uh, now is the time to ask your uh, kids' teachers. Now is time to ask the administrators you know. Uh, or is this something they're looking at? Um, and if not, uh, they can get it on their radar if they're here in the San Antonio area. As you, you um, are listening on 1200, uh, they can figure out how to pop across town for one day or somebody from the school should be coming down to this conference uh, if, if they aren't sending someone. Yeah, and the conference uh, runs um, three days, the 5th, 6th, and 7th of, uh, of February here, right? So this coming week. And, um, you know, Exhibitor Hall with, with uh, public access, which is great. And one of the things that we're very fortunate is our Merge Cube that Jeremy and I have been uh, mentioning here over the last few minutes has actually been awarded um, as one of the 10 finalists for an award of, of, of excellence for EdTech products that uh, winner will be announced at a, at a reception on Wednesday the 6th coming up this week. So we're, uh, you know, hopeful for that, but uh, the Good product's luck. getting a lot of, re- yeah, product's getting a lot of recognition. And, and internationally, if you can believe it, we've got education thought leaders from South Korea, Singapore, the Middle East, and Europe that are, are uh, hitting us up through social channels, sharing stories of how they're transforming learning in faraway countries. Yeah, because, I mean, the, the interesting thing, and this is one as well, if you're starting to try to figure out how am I going to do AR and VR and, and get a setup, like, this cube is compatible with all sorts of devices. It's not like you're not going into one specific ecosystem because you, you add this cube. It's anything that can run the the applications that can interact with the object. Yeah, that's right. So Android and iOS and the mobile phone um, footprint, uh, certainly iPads from a tablet perspective. And we've got uh, exciting news last week at the uh, FETC show here in the U.S. that we announced Windows 10 support for Surface. So um, all of our apps going forward that Jeremy's team are building will be Windows 10 compatible. And we retroactively went back on nearly 10 of our uh, educational apps and, and brought them up to Windows 10 compatibility. And that's great because Microsoft a couple weeks ago here at the end of January announced some pretty aggressive pricing on Surface. We know they're in for a fight with Google with the Chromebooks. And uh, Microsoft has expressed significant interest in our uh, AR VR products as part of their overall mixed reality or MR strategy. So we're dealing with their general manager in Redmond in their MR group. Yeah. No, it's exciting stuff. Um, I love that we've got uh, technology vendors battling for the classroom because that uh, gives 
better access to uh, all of our kids out there uh, to enhance the learning environment and get them ready for all the t uh, tools that they will use uh, in the professional workspace. So uh, you uh, just turned your radio on right now. Uh, this is 1200 WAI. Uh, we're talking augmented and virtual reality learning on CyberTalk Radio. Uh, we're going to take a quick break here at the bottom of the hour for a news traffic and weather update. Uh, after that, I will be back with Steve and Jeremy. Uh, we're going to talk some about uh, now that you, you've got this AR and VR figured out and you're starting to do things, how do you know which apps are safe for you to use? How do you know uh, if your kids are uh, using this and you're not? Uh, what is safe for them? If you're uh, an educator out there listening uh, to learn more about Merge, so you saw them at one of these conferences or you saw some of the other videos out there of other teachers, uh, they're going to be able to give you some tips on uh, what you can do in your classroom. And if you are not going to be able to stick with us through the break, you can listen to the rebroadcast of this uh, podcast streaming. It will be on the Internet on Tuesday, February the 5th at www.cybertalkradio.com on iTunes, uh, Podcasts, Pocket Casts, Stitchers, and all the other things out there that uh, the cool kids are using these days to uh, stream stuff uh, in through their headphones and headsets. Welcome back to CyberTalk Radio. I'm your host, Brett Pyatt, a 20-year internet security veteran, and we're talking augmented and virtual reality. If you uh, just turned your radio on right now, you can listen to the first half of our program on www.cybertalkradio.com. It'll go up on Tuesday, February the 5th. If you are listening to this uh, through the website or maybe the YouTube channel, you can be looking at a, a still photo of uh, Steve, Jeremy, and I as we have our conversation here uh, no we're not going to be adding video anytime soon uh my our our editor and executive producer and everybody they have uh, second jobs that they do other than just our radio program which if we turn it into a video program i'll never see him ever again so it's also out there on any podcasting service so if you were subscribed to us uh, thank you for doing that and uh, being a listener uh, if you have things that you want us to t cover on the program that we have uh, not, uh, you, there's a submission form on our website. We're also on Facebook and Twitter. You can message us there and uh, let us know. We'll work to get guests and kind of cover that topic. Uh, if you stuck with us through that break and uh, on the radio or if uh, through the first half of the podcast, we told you we were going to talk some about kind of the software, software safety aspect of these sort of things. So um, I know as a parent out there, you, you want your kid using these uh, advanced technologies to learn things, but how do you know that they're learning the right thing or they're not um, out there uh, just, by the way, Fortnite, not a great thing for them to uh, learn long-term developmental skills. So if they're spending four hours a night on Fortnite, as Steve had kind of joked, and that's probably the average true i think actually Net not a joke i've got a teenage son that attempts to do that yeah I, I think netflix came out the other day even on their their uh, around their earnings and they said that not only are they worried about other cable and streaming things they're worried about fortnite and other games like that because it's taking away if you're playing fortnite all the time you don't need to have a netflix subscription anymore my son rationalizes it by telling my wife that he's keeping in touch with his cousins in Raleigh, Durham. Yeah. So, uh, you know, with his headset on. Playing I, the game. I've got some friends that are homeschooled, actually, and they, they do use it for that. So, I mean, gaming is valuable in, in some ways. And so they use it actually as a social outlet for homeschoolers to, to connect with other homeschoolers and have a friend network because that's important, too. But, yeah, yeah, I don't know about six hours a night. That might be too much. Yeah. Or pick something with, I don't know, the, the even Minecraft, I think, has got some more learning and building aspects in it than Fortnite. Oh, and we've got a uh, Merge Cube app called dig that's uh, kind of a minecraft uh, type uh, framework that would be a perfect 
yeah. option to Fortnite. Yeah, shameless or, plug. Or I mean, even other uh, games out there. I'm just I'm I'm not a, a Fortnite's for parents listening. It's just a it's a battle royale, so it's just kind of everybody against everybody. It's it's a kind of just total madness is my best way to describe it. Other games that require um, teamwork and coordination and planning. That's a significantly more beneficial uh, for them to learn those skills of teamwork and coordination and strategy and planning versus uh, Fortnite, which is just mindless. Um, I don't know. I might be too hard on it. Uh, maybe I'm not, though. So for, for parents out there, as, as you're getting into these different applications, look, uh, I mean, there's been studies over the years. Zynga's been one of the big examples of this that's been written about in the press where they are hiring psychologists to put things into the game to create addictive repetitive behaviors um if if i'm a parent and i'm turning my kids loose on on whether it's i mean ar and vr even much more immersive than that flat screen gaming um how do i know that the software that they're going to be using is safe yeah, it's a great question. Um, you know, the short answer from the merge perspective is we anticipated this very early on that we wanted to create a brand position around trust and uh, maybe call it out of vogue to be the conservative content company. But, you know, we make a pretty big claim um, that if you're buying our products that we're going to do two things. One is make sure that you've got content you can use to enjoy them so it doesn't turn into a snow globe. You, you know, play with it for 10 minutes and put it on the shelf for a year. But the other thing is that the content that you're going to access uh, from us is going to um, be safe, safe meaning not asking for children's personal information, not having some of this bait and switch type of in-app purchase activity, and the subject matter is age appropriate. And that's pretty key, right? Because in the gaming industry, risque girls and everything else is part of how they sell to the 18 or 16-year-old guys. But, you know, if I'm, you know, a parent of an 8-year-old, maybe I don't want them seeing that, you know, at 8 years old. Um, so, so long story short is we've built a content portal called Miniverse, and it's got over 300 uh, apps, VR experiences, and videos. And it goes through a human, not, not AI, but a human screening process. And it's got to pass several people reviewing the content for, um, you know, being, again, age and, and kid appropriate. Now, we're one of the few that do that. So you're right. It is a wild, wild west for a parent that buys these products wondering where are my kids getting the content. But it, we're trying to at least lead by example in that space, both in education and for consumer purchases. Yeah, that's that's miniverse.io if you want to check it out. And you don't actually have to have any of our products to use it. It's really us trying to help build the community, build the VR world, build the AR world, and, right. and give back in a lot of ways and, and create yeah. a safe so space. So some of the things in that, you guys, because you guys publish apps, and we'll talk some about that here, Jeremy. You guys write and author. So some of those apps that are in there are yours, but others are from other developers mm -hmm. where you vetted them and, and you know that this is something good and worthwhile for people to use. That's right. The majority of them are actually from other developers. So we have probably less i would say less than 20 that are merge apps and there's 400 plus that are from all different developers yeah, so if, if i'm a developer out there is there and i've got an app is there a submit button or something for you to to review it yeah that's okay. right there is yeah so if you are building these things and you, and you want to get into that marketplace and let them know fill out the the form there and they'll have someone review it and check it out so yeah and we've got an sdk that's been downloaded by over 1200 developers around the world to develop specifically for the merge cube and this is where we're tracking some really cool use cases in higher ed and digital health where we'll be approached where it's hey i just downloaded the sdk key can yeah. we share with you some of the cool things we intend to build? And we're building a really cool curated repository, and we're tracking the progress of these projects. Really quickly, back to your question about where do parents go, what do they do? You know, this isn't too unlike 
television or anything else that a kid can have access to, right? The internet. Hopefully yeah. there's parental involvement. Hopefully it's not give the kid the endpoint device and wherever they end up, they end up. But again, to Jeremy's point, we're trying to make it, um, you know, create an oasis or a safe haven where at least parents can go and know if it's on the Merge Miniverse site, then, you know, we know that this is appropriate. Oasis, good word, Steve. Hey. Yes. No, I mean, I just, it's, I mean, parents like worry about all the stuff. You, you, you hear the, uh, all these um, things like as an adult now, you're like, why would a kid ever eat a Tide Pod? But apparently somehow like that turned into a thing on the internet or the cinnamon challenge or all of these things that kids start watching videos on YouTube and other places. And, and all of a sudden they're watching videos and they think this is a great idea. And by the way, if you're a kid listening, the, neither of those things are a good idea. They're terrible ideas and can kill you. Uh, so Jeremy, as, as you guys, uh, we were talking a little bit off air during the break about the, the software and, uh, I mean, how this can change the learning environment. I mean, I think you said it real quickly is just, I mean, like we're making kids smarter, um, help uh, go back and have some of that conversation here. I think our, our listeners will enjoy. So we've now figured out where to go, keep the software safe, but like, why is this even like really important from a software side for the, the learning environment? Yeah, I mean, there's, I guess, a lot of a lot of ways I could attack that question. So let me start on one of them, and we'll kind of move around, not necessarily in order. But, you know, one of the things we're doing is we're building quite a bit of uh, educational software aligned to what are called the NGSS. Those are the Next Generation Science Standards. And it's it's a way a lot of different states and uh, localities and, and uh, I'm not even sure even countries, but mostly the U.S., is, is sort of forming their idea of how to teach science education. So we're building a lot of, uh, cur uh, not curriculum, but educational experiences around that. And as we're going through that, you know, we're, we're realizing, like, as you teach second, third, and fourth grade earth science, for example, you really have to teach it a certain way. They want you to teach this first, then in third grade you learn this, and then in fourth grade you learn this. With augmented reality and the way we're presenting this information, like, we're aligning to NGSS because that's required right now to compete in the marketplace. But I believe in second grade, when they see this, they're going to learn second, third, and fourth grade. So we're really changing the way kids learn, and we're able to teach them things in a much faster way, in a much different way. One uh, quick aside, one of, the, one of the things we talk about is like being able to use the merge cube in the classroom. You know, if a, if a lesson plan is typically 50 minutes, you know, let's, let's have them use the cube for 15 minutes. Let's have them do this, this or that. But the truth is, like, we can probably teach them in that 15 minutes all the same information that you're going to teach them traditionally with a book and a piece of paper in 50 minutes, you know. And so we're kind of treading that line between, like, let's let, let's fit into the system and, and how it works. But then also our the technology is so revolutionary and the way it presents information is so impressive that kids are going to just start learning things in an incredibly different type of way, much faster way, much more intuitive. So, so that's interesting to us. Um, yeah, so that, that's just an interesting perspective. For, yeah, and there's for two there's two pieces of science behind this. There's there's a, a construct that most teachers are familiar with called the cone of experience. Think of a pyramid. At the top, uh, it works its way down to the bottom, and it says that you know we we retain you know ten percent of what we what we see. We we retain twenty percent of what we write. We retain thirty percent, and it goes through all the way to the bottom of the pyramid, where we retain between seven and ninety seventy percent and ninety percent of what we experience and what we do. Right, the whole concept of learning by doing, and there's yeah. there's a lot of brain science behind this in studies. So the, one of the things that you know Jeremy's getting to is you can talk about the Earth mantle and crust that we talked about in the first half of the program, or if you're holding the Earth in your hand and you're visually actually able to see the virtual object in plate movements and everything. 
Um, that experiential educators called active learning actually has legitimate learning acceleration behind it. So Jeremy's talking about learning, making them smarter, teaching them faster. The other thing about brain science that we know is that the human brain is, is wired to process a visual, a visual image 60,000 times faster than um, reading 100 words on a page. And so this is why movie scenes are so powerful at 30 frames a second or more. Yeah. So again, we come back to brain science. We're wired to process and assign meaning to visual imagery. So what are we doing in AR? We're actually creating a visual experience that's beyond it, yeah. the device. Yeah, the, and, and, the, the, the picture is worth a thousand words, literally. The like object, yeah, the that, AR object is worth, you know, uh, what is it, a million maybe. So yeah. it, it's kind of why, if you let me go on a quick tangent here, it's kind of why, like, think about how, think about things in your life that you remember the most. Why do you remember them? You remember, and, and what do you remember? You remember what it smelled like? You remember what the temperature was? You remember, and what that really is, is that's your brain interpreting different senses and getting all kinds of inputs. So as you remember things, the more inputs you can record, the more, the better you're going to remember something and the more you're going to tie yourself to it. So what augmented reality and this type of learning is allowing us to do is just tap into all that IO and really input much more into your brain. And so that's why yeah. it's so effective. I mean, it's, it's, it's pretty a, simple. It's the, if you, a lot of us, if we think back to our school experiences, we can remember the field trips we went on where you actually went out and like captured butterflies for biology class or whatever else we can you can still remember those now i mean i couldn't remember any of the rest of anything i did in biology class this effectively brings a field trip into the classroom every day yeah and you know google three plus years ago with google expeditions that was the big first foray into the classroom right which is hey um, instead of going on the field trip or the expedition we can bring it to you and so that really kind of opened the eyes and they spent a ton of money putting that out there and and so that was kind of the first big splash but then, you know, you look at, okay, well, what can we do with ARBR across other STEAM, right, uh, subjects? And so, you know, the product that, that Jeremy's team is working on is, is pretty darn cool because um, essentially any subject a teacher wants to teach, instead of going to Google, hitting the images tab, looking for an image, or trying to go to a, even a 3D library like Google Poly or Microsoft Remix, you're still limited to that device screen. And so you got to figure out how do I you know, communicate that in a powerful way. And then we get back to touching and using the AR images, let alone stamping the images in the real world where you can actually walk around a life-size F F-16 fighter plane. That is transformational. Yeah, well, and especially, I mean, getting kids to focus is if they've got a, that headset on, they're seeing the life-size plane, they can't be distracted by whoever's sitting next to them or whatever else is going on around them. Like, it's it, it in a good way... Um, it's going to force that complete immersion so you are focused on the learning experience and not on all the other things that you could be distracted by in the classroom. And, and the truth is, like, the content itself is distracting. And so that's what they're, they are focused on just naturally. Yeah. You know, it's kind of, it's, you know, I call it head fake learning. It's the head fake. They think they're having fun being engaged with something cool, but they're actually, like, internalizing and learning a whole bunch of stuff. Yeah, our kind of mantra is if they're going to have a phone in their hand, let's use the phone for something other than texting and, and Instagram, right? Yeah. No, I mean, it, it's an interesting one. Seeing all the different policy schools have adopted, some of them are like your your phone goes into a, a pouch, like where we used to drop our backpack and lunch off. Um, if the phone has to be there, it doesn't go to your desk. Other classes and teachers have tried uh, bringing the phone to the desk to use it as a, a search and augmentation tool um, for folks to go look up and do research in history class or whatever else. Uh, in, in the, I guess with the, the mix of different educators as well on how they're uh, adapting uh, to this, 
different types of schools uh, where like maybe new academies are getting set up in in ways where they're experimenting more with the curriculum um it's an interesting time to kind of be an educator it's an interesting time to have a to be a parent and have kids because i mean if you go back to when we were in school pretty much every school was teaching the same stuff the same way and now there's a wide variety out there even in kind of the k through eight um there's dual language immersion uh, programs uh, there's uh, where they're stimulating the different areas of the brain using different languages to help learning. I think there's going to be augmented and virtual reality-based uh, academies that are making that the center of the learning experience. I mean, that type of stuff is coming next. Yeah, I mean, we're seeing a lot of application. And, you know, what we're, what we're trying to do in, in conversations with educators is say, hey, think about four um, use cases in your school, the classroom, the lab, the library, and the maker space. And we'll start with that term. A lot of people listening may not know, but over the last several years, there's a big push within schools that we think is a good thing that says we want kids to be content creators, not just content consumers, not just have them sit for six hours a day and have an instructor talk at them, but, but through active learning techniques, allow them to create. And so there's a big push. And so a makerspace is, in a, is a location in a school. Could be in the library, could be its own area where kids are doing things for 3D printing, they're doing object-based coding, they're doing design, and that's, that's good, right? That taps into a lot of uh, creative outlet and stimulates other types of brain activity. So again, when you add AR, hey, you can create something and paint 3D or Tinkercad or CoSpaces, and then the thing that you created, again, you're not limited to the 2D screen, you can view it on the cube, show your friends, particularly for schools that may not be able to afford 3D printing, or again, you got the wait in line scenario. I talked about 20 minutes ago with the HTC units, 24 rambunctious fourth graders. Yeah. Well, how, how do you, you know, how do you want to be the, or, or how, you know, probably painful is it to be the makerspace, uh, you know, lab oversight person who, you know, you got queuing of plastic and nine kids deep, like planes waiting to take off. Yeah, I mean, it takes the kid wants their thing out of the 3D printer versus I can hold it on the cube. It takes 20 or 30 minutes to, to 3D print a whistle. So, like yeah, if you exactly. Can, like a sports exactly. whistle, if you think about that. And then I think it, it 20 or 30 minutes to 3D print that. If you're going to yeah. 3D print yeah. something complicated, it yeah. can be hours. Well, so, you know, talk about timing right now on this program. You know, yesterday we announced on the 1st of February that we are. Um, uh, doing a pilot with Broward County Library. Now, this is the ninth largest library network in the U.S., 38 libraries, 1 million cardholders, right? Pretty good population size. In nine of their library locations, they're testing using our VR uh, headset is a medium that you can check out from the library. So you can check out a book, right? As I like to tell them, books are so 18th century, right? But in all seriousness, I'm married to a librarian, but... Um, in, in the the modern age of the visual learner that we've been talking about, the idea that anybody, 10-year-old kid, 65-year-old uh, retiree in the community can walk in, check out the headset, then go to Miniverse or other locations on the web and acquire VR content that they can experience. For libraries to remain relevant, just like museums, right, in, in our day and age, how many 15-year-olds want to go to the museum? Um, they're going to have to deliver experiences like this. Jeremy's got some really cool experience in the museum space, and we're seeing interest there. I've got a call actually later today with the Fresno, California public library system. Fresno, interested in piloting things like this to help keep a library relevant in our, in our digital youth uh, you know, culture. Yeah. So, Jeremy, for software developers out there, if they want to go, say they've been writing uh, – games for a 2d environment and they want to get into 3d into ar vr is this something that they can learn on their own is this something where they should go 
study some curriculum somewhere? How, how did you go about getting into this? And what do you recommend for others as well? Because you, your personal experience, might you might have gone at it the hard way and you can help people avoid that one. Yeah, well, I got to be careful what I say. So I teach at the University of the Incarnate Word here. I teach some night classes in the spring semesters, usually um, as part of their computer graphics program. And I've been doing that for a long time. And, uh, you know, so I went and got a, a BFA degree and, and studied computer graphics and all of that stuff and have a deep technical background in that. Um, the truth is you really can teach yourself this stuff. I mean, when I was learning this stuff, you know, finding a video tutorial was like impossible, like, like video on the internet just wasn't a thing then. Yeah. And so finding those tutorials, if you did somehow you'd have to download it from some, whatever, uh, it Slow was, was difficult. So, yeah. so learning the software was difficult. And so you had to kind of, you know, work with other people that knew how to use it, have a good mentor that could kind of teach you. And, and luckily I had that, um, Worked with some local uh, local guy that was really great. The university I went to was great. So, but now I mean, kids today can can really learn this stuff on their own. And so we're hiring people that have you know uh, strong backgrounds in computer science and, and computer science degrees. But we're also getting kids that just like man, they learned Unity. Unity is a three D game engine technology that we build a lot of our stuff on. Uh, they just know Unity really well. They can code in C sharp, and and they're they're awesome. So yeah. Unity's open source, right? They're kind of free for it's not open educational development, I guess. Yeah, it's not open source, but yeah, okay. you can get free educational licenses if you start developing commercial products. You have to pay for it, but it's a great platform for. I mean, I, I don't know what the number is anymore. When we first started using it, it was probably seven percent of the App Store. Now I think it's like seventy five percent of the App Store is built on Unity. So uh, it's a game engine technology that that builds a lot of the games you see yeah. out there and then today. so for your like the merge cube sdk like is that something if i'm a software developer already i can pick up your sdk and the docs with it and i'll be able to figure it out or are there training classes boot camps any sort of stuff like that that i would should go to or need to go to no i mean if you know unity uh you can download our sdk it's a unity package that, that loads right in uh and you can get started pretty quick it's a lot of if you know unity you know it's a lot of drag and drop stuff to, to kind of get you started if you want to build some more sophisticated stuff you'll need to get uh you'll need to learn a little bit more but if you know unity you'll be able to build on top of this we're also using uh just so you know we're using vuforia as part of our uh computer vision tracking so uh, all that's built into the the SDK, so it's it's really actually pretty simple to get started. We threw we th we were throwing game jams last year uh, around the country with different schools and different uh, meetup groups and things like that to help uh, kickstart some of the the development on the cube. And we had a 11 year old kid show up to Cogswell College where we threw one of the game jams last year, and he was able to build an app in two days that was that was really awesome on the cube. So it's pretty easy to get started. Yeah, no, it's uh, exciting stuff, and I guess it's great to be able to plug into um, your SDK into something like that where uh, there's um, certainly, if it's more than half the video-oriented apps in the App Store at this point, uh, then there's likely lots of training and documentation and things out there to learn about how to get started with Unity. Yeah, for sure. And forums and communities to go ask questions and all of those uh, places. If you're out there as a software developer, you want to learn software development, yeah, get get used to uh, communicating on forums, chat channels, and other things because um, you're always going to run into stumbling blocks and issues and someone else in the community. The bigger the community is, the easier it's going to be to find someone else who's experienced your same problem and maybe you can exchange um, solutions for different things with each other. Yeah, and the, and the truth is, too, if you're here in San Antonio and you're building Unity stuff, you should come talk to us because we're always hiring good developers. There you go. So, uh, yeah, check it out at MergeVR.com. So as we're uh, getting ready to wrap the program up here, this is always uh, fun to get folks uh, on the record, especially since this will go onto the Internet into perpetuity. 
uh, predictions on on where is uh, augmented reality, virtual reality heading. So I don't, most of the audience has probably watched some of these uh, sci-fi movies, Minority Report and um, Gattaca and other things where you've got these fancy hand interfaces and all the rest of this, uh, or even Star Trek with the holodeck. Like, where is this space heading? How long until I get to put a holodeck in my house? Uh, I mean, I think you're not too far from the holodeck. I don't know if it's five years or 10 years. I mean, I, I'm not really sure there. Um, but that is where we're going. I mean, augmented reality ultimately is a technology that's going to enable a lot of different things. Data, in, in, uh, contextual information around me is going to be think, uh, something I experience in everything I do, driving cars, wherever I go, right? So um, so, so in that sense, it'll be pretty ubiquitous. Is it five years, 10 years? When am I going to get a headset? When am I going to get an implant? I don't know. But yeah. Um, yeah, it's coming for sure. Hand tracking, all of that. This is all computer vision technology that's that's moving along at a pretty fast clip. So. There, there's a lot of exciting things to look forward to, I think. Yeah. See. Yeah, I mean, I, I think my thinking is that you've always got in any, you know, fast technology adoption curve, you've got two parts to the problem. You've got a product problem, and then you've got a behavior modification problem. You've got to convince people to change behavior, right? They, yeah, that they, Google Glass thing did not go too well. Right, right, exactly. So I think that, you know, our conversation over the last hour about education, um, I think the reason that Microsoft and Google are, you know, drawing battle lines on this because it's no different than the GM marketing model of 50 years ago. Sell them a Chevy, move them up to a Buick, and graduate them into a Cadillac. If you can get a seven or eight-year-old comfortable with using AR and VR, and it just becomes a natural uh, tool, when they're 18 or 25 or 30, this isn't a big behavior modification like a 50-year-old, right? So adoption and usage is about... And Google Glass is working in industrial settings right. now. It's like HoloLens, not, right? Yeah. yeah. When we look at the jobs kids are going to have in the future, it's all about... Th they're going to be using AR and VR every day in the way they perform those jobs. And so uh, this this is like kind it's of a great... As normal as using a keyboard today. So. Right, exactly. Yeah. Well, thank you both for joining us on CyberTalk Radio. If you uh, just turned your... Uh, Thank you for joining us on CyberTalk Radio. If you're out there in the listening audience and you just turned on, uh, check our website out at www.cybertalkradio.com where you can uh, hear more about augmented virtual reality and all the other cybersecurity things going on uh, across the U.S. and the globe. <laughs>